Well, good morning. It's great to have you here at the chapel today. We welcome you, those both with us in person and those with us on live stream. We're excited to have you here. Um, Let me just open in a word of prayer, and then we'll move into the music section. Father, it is a great joy to be with your people this day. And Lord, we, we are reminded afresh, gathering together, praying together, hearing your word, singing together, is a gift from you. Uh, it's, it's, it's the gift that you've given us in the church. And Father, our prayer is that as uh, Tim brings the message this day, that our hearts will be open, that you'll do good work through your spirit in our hearts. And Father, we'll become more like Christ because of what we hear this day. Father, as we sing praises to you, may they come from hearts that are truly grateful for the gospel. And, and that we might, in a fresh way, Lord, be overwhelmed with the wonder of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. So, Father, do your good work in our lives this day. We think of those within our midst, Lord, who have um, lost loved ones, struggling with sickness, struggling in their own relationships. Father, that the gospel light will shine in there. And Father, that they will know your loving presence and your strength and your grace and your perspective. Father, we just want to be your committed followers. We want to know Christ. We want to follow him. We want to make a difference in this world for your glory. So do your good work in our lives to that end. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. We have gathered here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So please stand and uh, sing about him and worship him with me. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood, accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. And bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Alleluia, praise and honor unto thee. Sent from heaven God's own Son to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Alleluia, praise and honor unto thee. 
Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full By the precious blood that my Jesus spilled Now the curse of sin has no hold on me Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full By the precious blood that my Jesus spilled Now the curse of sin has no hold on me Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed See, the stone is rolled away Behold the empty tomb Alleluia, God be praised He's risen from the grave. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Alleluia, praise and honor unto thee. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Alleluia, praise and honor unto thee. Praise and honor unto thee. I am so glad that in these to say troubled times would be an understatement, but in these times that we have a promise that our God is able to work out all things for our good, for those of us that love him and who are called according to his purposes. There is a safety and a security that we have only found in a sovereign God who loves us and knows the intimate details of our lives. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us When beyond our understanding You're teaching us to trust Your plans are still to prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood You're faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Your plans are still to prosper. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. 
our wisdom unimagined Who can understand your ways Reigning high above the heavens Reaching down in endless grace You're the lifter of the lowly Compassionate and kind You surround and you uphold me And your promises are my delight Your plans are still to prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood You're faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Even what the enemy, even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley you are faithful You're working for our good You're working for our good And for your glory Even what the enemy means for evil You turn it for our good You turn it for our good And for your glory Even in the valley you are faithful You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over plans are still your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood you're faithful forever and perfect in love you are sovereign over us you're faithful forever and perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have a plan for us and that you purchased that plan for us on the cross by your life, your death, your resurrection. Help us, Lord, to live in awareness of those facts and to rejoice in them and to live in the awareness of your loving sovereignty over us. For our good and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we want to thank each of you for being here this morning and uh, just trust that God's word today will be a blessing to you. Today we are going to be ending our discussion on the life of Abraham. And to do that, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. 
Abraham's final journey, uh, is found in Genesis 25. That's where we find the record of the death of Abraham. Uh, Hebrews 11 gives us kind of a retrospective on the life of Abraham as an entire picture. So I was thinking as I, I have thought through the life of Abraham and preached through portions of Abraham's life, it has caused me to reflect on the fact, uh, or an experience I should say, from my premarital counseling. Uh, not meaning for my wife and I, but when I do premarital counseling, I use an analogy that uh, isn't always appreciated at first, but I've had a, a few couples come back later and say, you know what? That was actually true. I didn't like it when you said it, but it's actually true. And here's the analogy. I tell people that getting married is like buying a music album by your beloved and favorite artist. Okay, they're the one you're committed to. If you can go to a live concert with them, you're going. The truth is, when I buy an, an album or a disc, whatever you want to call it nowadays, I'm not even sure how to say it. I think album is probably the best way to say it. A collection of songs by an artist, okay? The truth is that when I listen to an album by my favorite artist, I'm going to have to tell you that usually there's going to be one or two songs on that album that I'm just, I'm not crazy about, right? Is that that fair? There's a couple that I fast forward past, all right? So when I apply that analogy to getting married, it raises a little tension, okay? Okay. You buy the album because you love the artist. You get engaged because you love the person. But you typically don't like every song on the album, and you typically don't, as you settle into life together, you don't tend to like every characteristic of the person. Otherwise, the word irritation would not exist, right? So please understand how I say this. When my wife and I met, her dad says that she was giddy. And I, I believe that. Okay? I was equally giddy. I became quite talkative, my mom said. And her dad became quite talkative. It would be hard to imagine that in a situation where you feel that the chemistry is good and strong, that there could be aspects of a person's life that one day you may not appreciate the way that you think you do today. But it's true, isn't it? It's true as you get down the road in your marriage that you absolutely love the person. But if you went up to my wife today and said, are there things about Tim that you don't like? I hope that she will say yes. You know why? There are things about myself that I don't like. Right? There's characteristics, idiosyncrasies, tendencies that I'm going to tell you are not the most attractive part of who I am. But when you get married, you make a commitment out of love to that person. And this is the way I look at Abraham's life. In the aggregate, it is an amazing life. There are some rough patches. There are some texts that I had to preach going through this and that James and Doug have had to preach going through this that quite frankly are at one level pathetic. They're disturbing. But when you step back and get the big picture of a person's life, you begin to see things And what I'm going to argue is from a little bit of a different perspective. In the Bible, Abraham is like a favorite artist. The overarching story challenges deeply in spite of the rough patches that are present. Carl Sandburg is the gentleman that did the biography for Abraham Lincoln. And here's what he said. He said, a tree is best measured 
when it is down. Meaning you can survey it and measure it in ways that you never could until it's down. And with Abraham's life, Hebrews 11 is a retrospective like that. Where it allows you to examine the life of Abraham, understanding that there were scars on the tree, that there were patches that were rough and something must have really gone wrong in this season of growth in the life of this heroic figure. We don't burn the tree. We don't throw away the story. We realize that there are aspects of it that are powerful. We realize that there are aspects that are of it that are disturbing. But at the end of the day, Abraham's life, when we study it, when we read through it, it is hopeful and encouraging. It's hopeful because when I read of Abraham's flaws, when I study the tree and I see the scars, that's me. That's me. And so I find hope that God will work with us through the struggles and the difficulties of our lives to bring out something that is glorious that only he can get credit for. Because the true us is transformed and concealed under the mighty hand of God's grace. So I want to go through Abraham's life with that little bit of background. And I also want to reflect on a theme that's present in our culture today. How many of you have heard the statement, cancel culture? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay? So cancel culture is basically this. And I just looked this up on, I think, on the uh, internet dictionary. Okay? Cancel culture is this. It is the popular practice... And as you think about this, you're going to understand this in light of things you're seeing, okay? Cancel culture is the practice of withdrawing support for public and historic figures and or companies after they have said or done something that is deemed to be offensive to someone, okay? So cancel culture is if you've done something that I deem offensive, I write you off. I erase every thought about you from my mind. Okay, that's what cancel culture does. So if cancel culture existed in the day of Abraham, and it could be done in a retrospective way, it would look at Abraham's life and say, Abraham had mistakes, therefore Abraham is bad, therefore we should not give him any credit. Where would that leave all of us? Do you understand? That's not a grace-based perspective on life. It's not a biblical perspective on how we see people in general. The Bible sees people as fallen, as depraved, in need of God's saving and transforming grace. And when that grace invades a life, it brings about a transformation. It doesn't bring perfection initially. But it is aiming towards and moving towards perfection by the grace of God. Okay, so, it, it, so when you come to Hebrews 11... It it gives you an assessment of of the highlights of Abraham's life, of the the characteristics that cause Hebrews 11 to include him in the hall of fame of faith. So when you want to look at somebody who exercised life-changing faith, you look at the life of Abraham. As you study through Hebrews 11, you'll find that nobody receives as much press in Hebrews 11 as does Abraham. And you might say, wait, 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 wasn't Abraham the guy that did this and this and this? And the answer is yes, yes. And as strong as Abraham's faith was, even more strong was the grace of God that was powerfully working in his life. And it's why when we come to the end of his life, we say, you know what? There are parts of that were, that were difficult. 
but that is a hopeful life. I can look at that, I can learn from that, and so when we go into Hebrews 11, that's what we're doing. So the question that we could ask this morning is, shall we call Abraham admirable, worthy of honor? Hebrews 11 concludes that the answer is yes. In spite of his flaws and because of the amazing and powerful grace of God. And I want to work through this text simply looking for indicators of great faith in Abraham's life. What is it that made him at the end of the day in the mindset of New Testament writers, not just of the writer of Hebrews, but also in the book of James and also in the book of Romans, when Abraham is remembered, he, he's usually referred to as something like this, the believer or the man of faith. And then Sarah is given a nod in this text as well, because they were on this journey together. I'm not going to get deep into those verses, but I, I just want you to know that in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, Abraham and Sarah in this text are upheld in spite of all their flaws. They're upheld as examples, as exemplars of fellow strugglers like you and I. All right, so what I want, what I want to do is just I want to work through the text and simply identify a few characteristics of people that please God because they relate to him by great faith. Okay, so let's begin in verse 8. So Hebrews 11, and, and verses 1 and 2 tell you what this story is about, right? Verses 1 and 2 say, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It is the assurance or guarantee about something that we do not see. This is what the ancients are commended for. They're not commended for sanitized lives. They're, content, they're, they're commended for great faith in seasons of great struggle. Okay? And hopefully that's the connection point for us. So verse 8 says this. It says, by faith... Abraham, when he was called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance. Now that's Genesis 12, 1 to 3, right? God comes to Abraham, says, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to give you a great seed, a great promise. Trust me. And in order to have that promise, God says to Abraham, I want you to move from where you live some four to 500 miles away to another place that you have never seen. How old is Abraham when this happens? He's 75 years old. He has financial stability. He has security. He has extended family. And God says, Abraham, I want you to believe me. And I want you to step out and go to a place that you have never seen, but it is a place that I in the future will give to you. Okay, and so this text records Abraham's response to that massive life-changing directive called to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance when he got the call what did he do the text does not say that he hesitated it doesn't say that he talked to a number of people to get advice he knew what god wanted and so what did abraham do he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, 
In, in fact, she was more than just past childbearing age. She was diagnosed as barren, unable to bear children. She was enabled to bear children because she considered God faithful, the one who had made the promise. So from this one man, and he as good as dead, that is his age and relationship to birthing and having children, from him came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Okay, so what's the first... If I'm a person of faith, what is, what is going to be one of the prominent characteristics of my life? It's going to be this. Obedience without hesitation. Unflinching obedience. No setting back, no thinking, no waiting. Simply, it's what God said, it's what I'm going to do. So the text tells us that he obeyed. The word literally means he listened. Okay, so he he got the content of the directive from God, and once he had the content from the directive, he responded immediately to it. Okay, I want to tell you, one of the life-changing principles that you can bring into into your life is the principle of understanding what obedience is. So every good parent should have a working definition of obedience. If Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, I think it would be wise for every parent to understand what obedience is is so that while their children live under their authority they're learning obedience so that when they go under god's authority they know how to obey does that make sense because if i don't teach my children to obey when they hear a directive from god one day they're going to resist that as well and so as a parent we're told to teach our children obedience here's a working definition of obedience it's doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right attitude. Okay, so we drilled that into our daughters. Okay, obedience is doing what you were told to do, when you're told to do it, with the right attitude. So when I study through this text, and I look at Abraham, and I, I, I see that one of the first evidences of faith is that when God gives a directive, my response is yes. Yes. So I want you to think through your life. When God gives direction to you, are you responsive or reluctant? See, sometimes the answer is it depends on what's on the stakes, right? I'm a person of truth. I tell the truth. Are there ever circumstances that you're in where you're a little bit concerned about telling the whole truth? Right? It's, It's then that I find out whether I really obey the command, thou shalt not lie, which is a command to tell the truth. Right? Happens in workplaces, happens in relationships. Am I going to tell the truth? You know, the response from Abraham was as God brought directive, Abraham did what God told him. He did it immediately, and he did it with an attitude of faith. Fear produces hesitation. Fear produces a lot of hanging chads in our lives. A lot of unfinished, a lot of incompletes. Because we sit back in disobedience, we are reluctant and fearful, and we end up in a quandary of anxiety. Okay? Obedience, is, obedience may at times make you nervous, but obedience will never lead to anxiety. Okay? And there's a difference. Obedience says, God, I'm going to step out and trust you. Disobedience says, I'm going to wait back and see how things go. And I end up having to weigh my odds in every area of my life. That is a frustrating way to live. It's a painful way emotionally to live. 
When God calls and God directs in your life, you should obey. This is what a person of faith does. All right? So the first characteristic we learn from Abraham's life is that his faith was exposed. It was revealed by this immediate obedience. Can I ask you this morning to ask yourself the question, what step of obedience, what simple step of obedience are you avoiding because you think you will be happier if you ignore God's directive? Like you know what God wants, but you won't do it. Okay, I just want you to think for a second. In what area of my life am I going like this to God? No. Or like my little two-year-old granddaughter will go, no. Okay, with kids it's funny, right? It's humorous. It's also sad to think about it. But when it's true of us, right, we fail to trust God, right? So I want to encourage you this morning. When God calls, when he makes a clear direction, Take the steps. You'll see this in the context of relationships. I see it with young people in the context of dating. When God's will is clear, do what God says. It's true in relationship to financial decisions, moral choices. When you know what God wants, do it. Take a step of faith and let the... Here's what we do. We try to control outcomes, right? We want to control how things work out. Here's what you need to do. You need to make a commitment to obey God in great faith because you believe him to do good in your life. And you you take that step even though you don't know what the future brings. This text tells us Abraham went believing that God in the future would fulfill a promise. And he obeyed. The same thing should be true of us. That when we know what to do, we ought to do it and leave the results in the hands of someone who is far smarter and far more capable and far more powerful than you and I. And you will find that life becomes, I'm going to give you two words. When you obey God, life becomes simple, right? I'm not saying life is easy as a believer. But when you make a commitment to say, when God shows me what to do, I'm going to do it, your life will become simple. I'm not saying it will be easy. Abraham's life after this decision was not easy. But he didn't live with this anxiety that was burning him up inside because he was trying to ride two horses at one time. He knew the direction God wanted him to go, and he went in that direction. Okay, and when you do that, you will reduce anxiety. You will simplify your life. I'm not saying it will always be easy. That's why we call it faith. Okay, so the first indicator of great faith in Abraham's life, according to God's word, is that when he was called to something he would later receive, he went. And the text says, he went without knowing. And and the idea of without knowing is, even as Abraham left his homeland to go to the land that God had promised to him, the move of obedience did not resolve all struggle, right? He went without knowing, and during the journey, he didn't know until he got there and God said, okay, Abraham, this is the place. And because he knew that God had promised to be faithful, he followed and obeyed till God would finally bring him to that so, first test this morning is how is your obedience as a measure of the strength of your faith? All right, verses 9 and 10 then say this. And, and I, I love this. When, and, and obviously, from verse 8, Abraham is traveling. Verse 9, he gets there. And here's the question. When the temporal promise of God comes, how do you respond to it? 
Okay, when, when there's a fulfillment and there is a, a concrete experience of the blessing of God in your life, how do you respond to it if you're a person of faith? Okay, now here's what the text says. The text says in verse 9 that when Abraham got there, he made his home in the promised land. Okay, so that tells me he, 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 he took up residence there at some level, right? But he lived like a stranger in a foreign country, meaning he did not see the temporal blessing as permanent. Meaning he didn't invest his life into that temporary thing. It did not become his life. Instead it says, and I love the way it says this, it says, he lived like a stranger in the foreign country. He lived in tents. Now, if you study the text, you know that there were cities around. We remember talking about the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. These were cities that were built, structures that had foundations. When Abraham got to the promised land, he lived in tents. And the question is, why? Verse 10 says this. It says, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. It's a fascinating text, isn't it? He got there. He said to his wife, this is where God called us to be. And Sarah's like, all right, let's start building structures. Let's make this our home. But a person of faith does what? They, they, they obey without hesitation, but they're also forward-looking in their faith. They maintain a proper perspective in relationship to temporal things. They don't vest them with full importance. They realize that there is something better yet to come. And verse 10 tells us he, he, he acted like a temporary resident because he was looking forward to a city that God would build. It reminds me of John chapter 14 when Jesus is talking with the disciples. You remember the account. He says to the disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And he goes on to say, I am going to build a place for you, so that he was giving them an understanding that your existence here is temporal. Your life, friends, is temporal. Your financial resources have temporal value. So don't ever vest them with full trust. Don't make them the essence of your life. God aims to be the treasure of your heart. God aims to be your chief affection. And your chief source of satisfaction. So when you go through seasons of temporal struggles or bad or, 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 or difficult health diagnoses or financial loss or job loss or relationships breaking up, remember that these things are temporal. And when God blesses in your life, when he pours uh, you know, financial or relational blessings, don't, al- don't allow those blessings to eclipse, to block out the glory of God himself. This is the struggle that we have, isn't it? Sometimes God makes us a great promise. We step in obedience like Abraham did. We get to the promise and we forget God and we embrace the promise or the temporary blessing. And I want to tell you something, folks, that's always a mistake. Never overvalue the temporal blessings that God brings into your life. Always remember that the, the stuff that God gives you and your capacity to enjoy it are both temporary. It's one of the things I realized in, in, in two weeks, I turn, and it's shocking to all of you, 
Okay, in two weeks, I turned 60. I've been saying to my wife, and we, we've had the blessing of all, all four of our parents are still alive. Uh, amazing. I told my mother-in-law I'm putting her in my will, okay? She's, she's got phenomenal genes. We're, we're blessed to have them. But I, I, I jokingly will say to my friends, as, as our parents begin to die off, which they are, that's inevitable, unavoidable. We're becoming the old people. Okay, when you turn 60, you are not going over the hill. You're on the downhill side. Okay, and you begin to realize, like, I'm not kidding you. I look 30 years down the road. I moved here 31 years ago with my wife. 31 years ago. In 31 years, I'm going to be 91. Okay, I'm just being honest. I, I realize my life is temporary. It's like that. Abraham's perspective when he got there, he did not settle in like a permanent resident. Why? It wasn't the prize. The next relationship, the next financial hit, the next right stock pick is not the prize. It's all temporary. As is your ability to enjoy it. And as, I'm, as I age, I'm realizing that capacity to enjoy certain things is going to diminish. So why would you hoard resources that you can never enjoy? That's the question I started asking myself. Why would I want to hang on to things that make no difference in my life anymore? Because I'm moving to something better. He looked forward to a place that wasn't temporary. And in Abraham's mind, it might have been like this. I build the city. It will one day fall in a battle. But the city that God builds will never succumb. It will never falter. It will never fall. He said he's looking forward to a city whose builder and foundation is put by God. And Abraham said when he got to the promise, he said, this isn't it. James 4 says this. It says, remember that your life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while. And then it vanishes away. You don't vanish away. But your temporary life expires. And you go on either to the blessing of God's presence or to the absence of God's presence forever in a place called hell. Abraham believed God. And when he got to the promise, he did not invest it with infinite value. He, 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 he thanked God for it. But here's the unique trait about Abraham when he got there. And when he received the blessing and he, and, he, and he diagnosed it, he evaluated it and saw that it was temporary. And we're just, we're going to live in tents because we don't want to get too rooted here. Every time Abraham had temporal blessings, you know what he did? He practiced generosity. You read through the settling of struggles in Abraham's life. Here's what you're going to find. Abraham is always smashing the bondage of temporary things and pleasures with generosity. Whenever there's a struggle, everyone's like, hey, I'll go. You, you pick what you want. I'm good. You know why? He didn't invest it with infinite value. So he wasn't connected to it in the way that you and I tend to get connected to things. And to me, that's, that's the overarching life lesson from Abraham is that as he lived, he never, he never assessed his life by what he had. And when he faced struggles and seasons of difficulty, he was open-handed. When God met him coming back from, from the battle in relationship to bringing Lot back, remember? He gave a tenth of everything he had. 
Because generosity smashes the bondage of material things. That's why Paul says to Timothy, right? Timothy, warn those who are rich. People like Abraham. People who have more than they need, like a lot of us. Warn them. That there will be a competing battle of affections. And the thing that you love will determine the course of your life. And the way you smash the, the, the love of money is by generosity. It's the way the Bible always teaches. And as you study through the life of Abraham, you'll find that one of the secrets to how he, he defeated love of material things was that when God blessed, he always shared. So that's that perspective. The the one verse that came to my mind as I was studying through this text, and, I, and I'm looking at Abraham's loose grip, and he's talking about looking forward to the reward and looking forward to a city uh, that has a builder whose name is God, and he lays the foundation. That's a permanent, amazing residence as we see at the end of Scripture, right? I, I, I'm going through that. What, what other verse in Scripture, and this is the verse that came to my mind, the other verse that captures this picture, David says in Psalm 1611, David says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures that last forever. All right, you want a verse to memorize? In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures that last forever. That truth is telling you how to live today. It's telling you what your future is like in Christ but it's telling you how to live in relationship to temporary things today. Okay? So when you're struggling with weakness physically, when you're struggling financially, when you're struggling relationally, when you're struggling in relationship to work, remember, the best is yet to come. And when Abraham got to the prize, the promise of God, he lived like an alien and a stranger. He didn't invest it with infinite value. Because he was trusting in God's provision. Now, verses 13 through 14 take us one step deeper into understanding Abraham's faith. It says all these people, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, the whole, the whole lineage of Abraham. It says all these people were still living by faith when they died. Meaning what? They never received the fullness of the promises that were given to them. They were going to unfold over time. So Abraham wasn't looking for the ultimate blessing on earth. He was looking forward to God's presence as the ultimate blessing. These people died in faith, meaning they died, the verse says, without receiving the things promised. They only, and I love this, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigner and strangers, foreigners and strangers on earth. This is beautiful. Can I share a word with you that I think is very important? The word affections. I think later the Apostle Paul says something like this. He says, set your affections on things above, where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart is. Okay? So, so this, this idea of affections, this idea of longing for the fullness of God's promises was transformational in Abraham's life. He wasn't demanding more. He wasn't demanding all the fullness and the fulfillment. But verse 14 says, people who say things like this, 
who admit that they're strangers and foreigners on earth, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, something that is literally out of this world. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. It's simply saying this. If Abraham, during his long journey from where he was to the land of Palestine, from Ur to Palestine, if the whole time he kept thinking, man, I had given up a lot, I'm going to be, end up on the short end of the stick. What if things don't work out? What if I don't like the land I'm going to? If Abraham fought like that, you know what he would have done? He would have been rerouting. Okay? Because that's the power of temporal things. If I live regretting the sacrifices I've made to follow Christ, at one point I will stop making sacrifices for Christ. Okay, and Abraham came to a place where he he said a final goodbye. That's what a person of faith does. They they have a change of affection. So the the third indication of of change in Abraham's heart, uh, the indication of strong faith, is that he had deep affections for God himself. That were loosening his grip on temporal things. I want that. I want that. But I I struggle with my desire for temporary things. But I want that perspective. I want my affection shifted from this realm to that realm. Because then when things in this realm are broken or shaken, guess what? I won't be so deeply bothered and broken with fear. You know, as, as I... As I walk through the, the, the current set of circumstances that we're in, I look at Abraham and say, God, give me that perspective. That if things politically are not what I want them to be, it's okay. This is not permanent. Okay, I thought of this in relationship to something like the virus. What is the virus? The virus is a threat to your health and potentially a threat to someone's life. Right? At the end of the day, That's how I can summarize it. Here's the truth. If I avoid the virus, I don't avoid death. Okay? That's not a newsflash. There's nothing profound about that. I'm just saying, there are people, I think, that think if they can avoid the virus, they won't die. Okay? I want to tell you, if that's where your thinking is, you're not in the realm of reality. Okay, I'm not saying you. T- I'm, please understand what I'm saying. I'm looking in, in the in the big picture, in the grand scheme of things. I may avoid the virus, but I cannot avoid death. I can't. And so Abraham's reckoning with those things. He's saying, "I'm looking forward. No matter what takes me here, I'm good." Every one of us has an expiration date. I believe it's Psalm 95 says the days of our lives are numbered. Just remember that God's in control. Ultimately, God is the one I should be trusting. He's the one Abraham trusted. I also thought of this in relationship to the current political environment. So you say, all right, you're on thin ice at the beginning. You talk about CDs and about marriage, right? And about there are certain aspects of each other that you don't like. Okay? Well, let me go out on other thin ice real quick. There's a danger in politics. There's a danger in elections that we will place our hope in man. Okay? There is a danger that I will slip into thinking that if this or that, and I don't care where you're coming from, perspective-wise, 
that if this person is elected again or if this person is elected now, it's over. Okay, and my, my question is, where is God in your thinking if that's how you look at things? Here's what I can promise you. If you depend on a political party or a politician, you will live with disappointment. Our hope as Christians is not in America's future. It's not in a politician. It's in the Lord himself. Abraham lived in a turbulent political era. His hope was not in the leader. His hope was in the leader. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote. I'm not saying you shouldn't care. I'm not saying you shouldn't be informed. I try to stay well informed. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. Just remember that it is all subject to change. And I want you to do this. When you find yourself getting ramped up, here's what I want you to do. You start thinking, oh, if this person gets in, then everything's great. Here's what I want you to remember from Psalms. Some trust in chariots. Some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do not let your political energy eclipse the glory and power of God. It's all I aim to say. Okay, Abraham had a perspective that was not tied to people. It was not tied to temporary possessions. It was tied to God himself. Okay, so don't make the mistake of setting your affections on things here. Set your affections on things above. Let God reorient your heart and your thinking so that you become a person of deep faith, a believer, a person who is confident in the turbulence and in the storms, who can honestly say, no matter who gets elected, it is well with my soul. At the deepest level of my being, I'm settled. I may not like what's going on. This gets back to the CD. There are tracks playing in this world that I don't like that make me incredibly nervous, that I really dislike for moral reasons. But I cannot vest my hope in the next election. Okay? I hope you vote, but I hope you don't place your hope in the person that you vote for because you will be disappointed. I promise you that. Verse 17 to 19 and this text, it says, By faith Abraham... When he was tested, this is the greatest test at the end of his life. When he was tested, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He was asked to take the son of promise and to place him upon an altar and take his life. And Abraham was willing to obey God in that extreme picture, which there's a whole lot more that should be and could be said about that, as I think uh, James preached about for us. But verse 18, it says this. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Meaning, Abraham, the future of the promise I gave you is dependent upon one human person, and that's Isaac. And then God says, Abraham, why don't you take Isaac, the one to whom all the promises are tied, the one you love, and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham hesitates for a moment, presumably. And then he says, okay. Okay, God, I'll do what you ask. And I, I love the way this, test, this text reconciles the struggle as a retrospective 2,000 years later. It says, Abraham reasoned. 
In his mind, he went through a calculation. He thought it through. He reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And in fact, he says, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. What does that mean? Okay, remember, Romans 4, verse 20, and in Genesis, I think it's on three occasions, the text says that Sarah was barren. That is a diagnosis. She was unable to bear children. And from her, here's what the text says, as good as dead. And from Abraham, past the age of childbearing, as good as dead in relationship to reproduction. From them, God brought a life. You know what Abraham's saying? God did this before. He reasoned that if the worst thing happened, that God could overcome the worst thing with his might and power. And that was a demonstration of Abraham's incredible faith. Isn't that beautiful? The most tragic event. He concluded that God could defeat death. And what I love is when I read the book of Matthew chapter 1, it says Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so I find a connection directly back to Jesus, who is the greater son of Abraham that God, in fact, does raise from the dead. Abraham reasoned in his heart that it was possible because of the power of God that was demonstrated in his life in the birth of Isaac. Isn't that cool? And based on that truth, God asked Abraham to do something, and Abraham just sits back and says, God, I trust you. I trust that you are capable of keeping your word in the most horrific circumstances. Simple conclusion. God is the one who helps us to be people of greater faith. When we look at the life of Abraham, the tree is down, right? The tree is laying on the ground. And upon close examination, we see that there are scars. The story of Abraham's life is not a sanitized story. All the difficult things aren't taken out. They're left there. But at the end of the survey of the tree of Abraham's life, it is a strong, sturdy, influential, and praiseworthy tree. And that, for me, is hopeful. Because when I read the aggregate story of Abraham's life, I see struggles, difficulties, high points, low points. I'm looking at my life. That's what my life looks like. And that means that God, by his grace and power in your life, by the working of the Spirit in your life, could transform you into something that you can never imagine. All you have to do is sit back and say, okay, God, I surrender. And the first indication of full surrender is that tomorrow or this afternoon or as you leave this place, you'll take that first step of obedience. The thing that you know God has called you to change in your life, that you've been unwilling to change, you're going to simplify your life and say, yes, God. I want to encourage you to do that today. The New Testament sings two songs about Abraham's life. And these, I think, are his greatest hits. James 2 tells us that Abraham was the friend of God. That blows my mind. Because I know the full story of Abraham's life, as do you. You can read it. God wrote it down. And when God talks about Abraham in the Bible, I forget the exact text. He says, Abraham, my friend. 
Does that give you any encouragement? Does that give you any hope that the grace of God in your life can be amazing and life-changing? If you'll simply obey, if you'll resist the entrapment of temporal things and trust God in every circumstance of your life by doing what's right and leaving the results with Him. Here's the truth of Scripture. God does not cancel you because of your past sin. Aren't you glad? God, God doesn't run through the world ripping down every remembrance of you because you made a mistake. He doesn't do that. It's not what grace does. He cancels your sin by the blood of His Son. When you come in simple faith, simply confessing your sin to God, He doesn't cancel you. He doesn't write you off. He cancels your sin and writes you in to the book of life through the work of Abraham's greatest son, who was not Isaac. His name is Jesus. The one who stood on Calvary's cross, who bore the consequence of your sin, and if you come to him in simple, saving faith, saying, Jesus, I believe that you died to bear the consequence of my sin. I want to be forgiven and I want to become a man, a woman, a young person of faith whose life is marked by instant obedience to whatever God wants. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Yes, yes. A person for whom all of God's promises become yes and amen. You hear him, you receive him, They transform your heart and life and you begin to walk in obedience to what God's asking you to do today. No more excuses. Just simple, God-glorifying obedience. The simple truth of Abraham's life is that God raises flawed people to magnify His grace and give hope to us who believe. And say to the person outside of Christ who thinks my life is such a screwed up mess There's no hope for me. I want you to go to them and say, there is a God who does not cancel you because your life is a mess. There is a God who loves you and cancels your sin, your mess, by the blood of his son. In the thought that comes to my mind as I say that, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He didn't cancel them. He gave them status. He invited them to dinner. He treated them as family. Not because they deserved it, but because they desperately needed it. May God help us to have a faith that is so robust and strong that it literally begins to transform our daily lives for the glory of God. If you're listening online today and you have questions, maybe Uh, Somehow you've stumbled across our website and you're looking for hope. We want you to know that there is hope through the work of Jesus Christ. We want you to know that in a world that may have canceled you, God has not canceled you. He does not act like you don't exist. He sent his son to redeem you and forgive you and bring you into his family if you simply would trust in him, confessing your sin. And if you need help, we encourage you to go to our website, request uh, a Bible, request a call from one of the pastors. We would be more than happy to reach out to you and help you in any way that we can. Would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer?
Great God, I thank you that you love us with an infinite love. I thank you that your word is full, chock full of promises. That it is full of stories of broken people like us who are redeemed and end up with a reputation at the end of their life that only you can take credit for. Father, I pray that as we go from here this morning, for some there may be the the expression of faith for for them may simply be a step of obedience that they need to take to simplify their life and to glorify you. I pray that you will give them courage to go and to take that simple step. Lord, for some of us, it may be a reorientation, a rethinking of how we face viruses and elections and physical struggle and sickness and death and all of those things. God, reorient our thinking like you did for Abraham so that we would be people noted for their affections, who love God, who love people who are living for eternity, not for what's temporary. I pray, God, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to gain Abraham's perspective, the believer and the friend of God. We pray these blessings in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.